Good morning and welcome to the River Oaks Presbyterian Church podcast from Sunday to Monday. I am Ricky Jones. And I'm Jonathan Dorst. And we are back together again. It's been a long time since we've done one of these. We apologize to our 12 listeners out there. Yes. And uh, we hope to get a couple more uh, more consistently out to you in the, over the next few weeks. We'll do it. We'll do it. So Jonathan's just back from vacation. Yes. Tell us about it. Where'd you go? Went to Scandinavia. Norway, Sweden, and Denmark, which is three of the five Scandinavian countries. And what are the other two? The other two are Estonia and Finland. Oh. Did not make it to those. There so you go. we had ten days, did about three days in each country, and it was great. It's our twentieth anniversary trip. Every every five years we try to take a big trip. And I think this was the best one yet. Yeah. Um not only was the weather beautiful, the people were super polite, and but everything kind of worked out. We uh, we never got upset with each other, and Rachel and I just really? really enjoyed each other. A yeah. whole vacation with a single argument. Which is, yeah, that's that's probably pretty rare. It is for us. What? Uh, why do you think we ha- get, tend to get into arguments on vacations? I think we have competing priorities of oh, yeah? what we want to see. Yes, and how how we think it's going to go. The unspoken expectations. Unspoken. Yeah, I think for me, when I think of a vacation, I just think of pure selfishness. Like I'm going to yeah. sleep when I want to sleep and eat and drink whatever I want to and whenever I want to. And uh, two selfish people don't tend to get along too well. It's, it's funny how that works. <laughs> it's funny how that works, yeah. But my marriage is great because Rachel isn't. Very interested in my happiness. And oh, so, wow. And so, and so are you. <laughs> so it, it works great. Well, that's good I, for you. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Well, and we, we've learned to split it up. She does the planning, the flights, and the housing, and then I'm the tour guide. You're the tour guide. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I have a good teamwork that, there. That's good. It works well. She I, stresses less when she doesn't have to think about what to do today. That's great. Yeah. Maybe we should try something like that. Maybe. All right. Well, um, so that kind of gets us to the topic of the day. What did you pick out for us? I picked preparing for marriage. And that's, uh, I know we're both doing premarital counseling right mm-hmm. now. We're going to be Always. performing weddings this summer. And it is definitely wedding season. So I thought I'd, we'd talk about what we do to help couples prepare for marriage. Okay. And, uh, so my Sounds first fun. question is, do you enjoy doing premarital counseling? <laughs> do I enjoy premarital counseling? Well, no lying. No lying. I, I mean, I do. If I didn't, I'm, I'm at a uh, the point in my career now where if I didn't, I would stop doing it. So <laughs> um, no, I do enjoy it. I think it's fun to uh, get couples together and teach them how to love each other. I think it's very important. And so I do enjoy it. It's, you know, the frustrating thing is you know you're not being listened to. And so these yeah. couples are so, I mean, if we didn't go into marriage with wide-eyed optimism, we wouldn't go into it at all, right? I mean, so you you have to be optimistic or you wouldn't get married at all. But, uh, you know, to some degree, all the advice and the, the wisdom you're trying to share with these couples, you know they're not li- really listening they just think everything's going to be wonderful as long as they can wake up in the same bed together. Um, and so, but that's, that's, you know, you get used to that. And, um, yeah, so I enjoy it. Do you enjoy it? I really do. I love it. I, 
I would much prefer to do premarital counseling than marital counseling, hmm. which is probably my weakness when it comes to conflict. That's fine. Because there's just much less conference, uh, com- less conflict. Um, and like you said, people are very hopeful. And I'm just hoping I can say a few things that they'll just remember yeah, at yeah. certain key points uh, in their marriage. And that's, that's how it was for Rachel and me. We had a great premarital counseling who said some really, really helpful things that we just have come up over the years. And that's great. I, I yeah. actually use quite a bit of his stuff. Our, uh, our counselor um, kept telling us he was trying to put the whistle on the train. So we would know when we're hmm. about to get hit by the train. That's all he was trying to do. So uh, there's some um, wisdom there. There's some wisdom there, yeah. And it didn't really work, but what it did allow us to do is to once we got hit on by the train, we were able to say, Now what? <laughs> Weren't we supposed to see that coming? <laughs> so <laughs> I did learn a lot of good things. Um I actually prefer marriage counseling though. Do you? Yeah, I think You see more results there? Well, you know, it's a plus or minus, but you definitely feel more needed. I don't know. These couples just seem to really want help and uh, as opposed to just being there because they're supposed to. I don't know why. Maybe that's just, I don't know. I, I, maybe, I guess that's just personality. Yeah, maybe you feel more effective. Oh. Well, so what do you wish you had known before you got married? Looking back now, how many years has it been? It's been 24 years for me. And um, I wish... Well, A, I wish I had known that the key to disagreeing is to not confuse winning an argument with making your marriage better. Mm, So I really went into marriage um, believing that if I won the argument, that meant I was right and I didn't have to change. And... I'm pretty pig-headed and fairly quick on my feet, and so I don't tend to lose too many arguments. Mm-hmm. But that certainly does not mean I'm never wrong. And uh, I know that now as a 47-year-old, but I did not know that as a 23-year-old. And uh, I wish I had. I think our first 15 years would have been a lot better, basically, if I'd just been more humble, if I'd just gone into the marriage knowing, yeah. having any idea of how often wrong and how in need of forgiveness and grace I am. So That's funny. I'm actually the opposite. No. I think if I had gone into my marriage being willing to fight in a good way and work hard um, and, and enter into conflict rather than sort of go into my cave, mm. I think we, we would have started out a lot stronger. It took me years to learn that, and I credit Rachel with helping me learn to enter into the conflict. Yeah. Conflict's hard. When we first got married, for really for our first 15 years, we just tried to get out of conflict as fast as possible rather than really trying to resolve what was wrong with our relationship. And Bianca and I kind of had a secret agreement, which was uh, I would never admit that I was wrong and she would never force me to. So that worked pretty well, it seemed, for a while. And, well, worked well in the sense that we didn't argue a lot. Um, but we, our yeah, our marriage didn't get better. And once we started truly disagreeing and seeing each other's perspective and trying to make it better, it was really hard. I wish we'd learned that earlier. So, yeah. so that's great. And uh, 
knowing your own marriage, so how does that help you, and, and what do you teach couples about arguing and conflict? Yeah, my, uh, my second meeting with the couples is uh, I give them homework. After the first meeting, first meeting is to kind of get to know each other and talking about the basics of why you wanted to get married. And then my second meeting, we I tell them, before I'll meet with you the second time, you have to have an argument. You have to write down what the argument was about. You have to share that perspective with each other and then bring it to me, and then we're going to talk about arguing. And, and I really teach uh, three or four things about it. The first thing is to understand the goal of an argument is not to win or to prove that you're right or even to compromise so you can both get your way. The goal of an argument is to make your marriage better. There is something here that we're disagreeing on. There is uh, some kind of obstruction between us. Let's make the marriage better, and let's not stop talking about this until we've figured out how to make the marriage better. And, and that, it, that's a kind of a change of perspective that I try to get people to see. Mm-hmm. So if you're fighting about finances, for example, what we tend to do is we'll see finances. At, we, we, we tend to see our spouse as the problem and finances as the issue. And, and if I could just get my spouse to quit spending money or if I could get my spouse to you know, write down what she spends or whatever. Right. And, and what I want to do is to say, okay, let's work together. Finances are something we fight about. So you and I, let's just get on the same team and view finances as something that we need to overcome together so that the, the issue that we're arguing about, instead of being something that separates us, actually become, becomes something that brings us closer together as we work on it together. So that's, that's really you know, the overall overarching thing I try to teach people. Of course, I tell them things like, you know, don't say things that are hurtful and don't attack personally and mm-hmm. just practical things that you would think people know, but they clearly don't. But the overwhelming thing is don't try to win the argument. Try to make your marriage better. So that's, that's kind of what I try to go with. Yeah, I, I really find so many couples are, are really keeping score. Yeah. Sometimes they don't even really realize that they're doing it, but they're mm-hmm. keeping score. And I just say, if you're keeping score, you're both losing. Yeah. Well, and so many couples, I think that we just learned this growing up when we learned how to argue as a way to protect ourselves. And a lot of couples are just mean. They just yeah. they say mean things to each other in the heat of the moment, in the heat of the argument. And they don't realize they're really hurting somebody. They took pledge to live with the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And those scars take a long time to, to heal. Yeah, and um, and really, you, you to... To defuse that and just say, I mean, it sounds obvious. Again, so much of premarital counseling is just stating the obvious, but I think really most couples need to have an hour-long conversation about, like, don't be mean. Yeah. And don't and don't assume that you know what your spouse interprets as being mean. Ask her, yeah. <laughs> what, what do I say that hurts your feelings? And learn how to not say those things. Um, but it makes sense if the person you are closest to can make you feel so bad mm. and so unworthy, uh, your fangs are going to come out. Yeah. Right? And that's where the gospel really has to play a huge part in a marriage. If we are already known and loved, we're already righteous in Jesus, we don't have to win our righteousness mm-hmm. against mm-hmm. Our, our spouse. Another practical thing I talk about in conflict is 
not using hyperbole. Right. Yeah. Don't, you know, try not to say you never take out the trash. Right. You always yeah. do this or that. Try strive for accuracy in communication. Yeah. I, I, I do the same thing. And I also try to encourage people to talk about the issue and not about the other person. So um, for years, uh, you know, the tendency is to say, you know, when you're, you want to talk about your spouse's habit of throwing his towel on the floor, your tendency is to say, that's rude, and, instead of just saying, please don't throw your towel on the floor. Or when you throw your towel on the floor, it makes me feel like you don't care about something that I care about. You know, don't, don't attack the person. Just talk about the issue. Um, and, and don't assume that the other person knows that what he is doing is hurting your feelings. I use that towel illustration all the time because I threw my towel on the floor pretty much every morning for five years. And I don't, I never thought about it. It never occurred to me that somebody else was picking it up. It just never, (laughs) I I don't know, you know, that's stupid, whatever. And then finally, after five years of marriage, Bianca finally told me how mad that made her. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll stop doing that. And so, you know, she was just kind of silently getting mad at me every day for five years. And it was an issue that I had no idea was an issue. Uh, you know, and one of my favorite illustrations is, uh, you know, we, we try to send out these silent signals of, you know, don't you see how mad you're making me or whatever? And a uh, friend of mine said, you know, the problem is this. You're sending out signals and you think I'm getting those signals and ignoring them. And so you think I'm being rude. Right. And what I'm trying to tell you is I don't have that antenna. I'm, I, I am not picking up those signals at all. So if you have a problem, you've got to say it. Yep. Um, the, there's a number of things that we, we just get mad about during the day. And again, you're with your spouse. You're, you're together all the time. You have ample opportunity to irritate each other. Yep. And if you don't say what they are, then they're not going to get better. You're just going to get your feelings hurt every day forever. And your spouse is not a mind reader. <laughs> no. That's no. good. So what else do you focus on when you counsel an engaged couple? Well, um, that's the first thing. Uh, second thing, the first thing I talk about is the gospel and how um, the gospel lays a groundwork for marriage because it's loving a sinner uh, as they are. You're not trying to manipulate somebody. God does not start loving us when we became righteous. He is not waiting on us to become righteous to love us. I talk a lot about a gospel reenactment, um, marriage being a place where you are forgiven, and, and constantly restored to relationship and and how um, I, I talked about sanctification, this process of becoming holy. Because, you know, marriage is fascinating. Uh, it really is a, a crucible that makes us holy. When you think of uh, what sin is, sin is selfishness. It's thinking about yourself. And as a single person, you are tempted to Think about yourself from the time you get up, and you get up when you want to get up. You go to work when you want to go to work. You wear what you want to wear. You spend your money on what you want to spend it on. You eat what you want to eat. Once you become married, all those decisions are now our decisions. And you get up when it's best for the family for you to get up, and you wear what is best for your family to wear, and you eat what is best for us to eat, and you spend your money the way that we can afford it. And that's constantly putting yourself at odds with your own selfishness and, and if you did it because somebody was forcing you to, you would hate that person. Yeah. You know, if, I, if you just invited me into your house and said, Ricky, I want you to tell me when to get up, what to eat, what to wear, 
what, how many hours to work, how to spend my vacations, you'd, you'd get furious with me in a week. And yet in marriage, and this is what uh, Mike Mason calls the mystery of marriage, this process of sanctification has a face, and it's a face of somebody you love. And so you're not even aware of it. Um, you're, you're just glad to be able to love this person. And that's, that's, that's one thing I really try to talk about is how love sanctifies us and, uh, and you have to let it. Another big thing I talk about is getting the necessity of getting to know each other so that you, um, so you're able to communicate. Mm -hmm. So, um, I tell couples whenever, whenever we speak, there's always three things that are getting communicated. There's, there's what I intended to say. There's the words that actually came out of my mouth and there's what you hear. And oftentimes what you hear is completely different than what I intended to say. And that's really based on my filters and your filters. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, if you are very insecure about uh, your appearance, and I make just a common, you know, maybe even a concerned statement such as, you look tired today, that could be really offensive to you if, if you're insecure about your appearance. Or if I ask you, uh, what have you been doing today? And you're really insecure about your job and you don't think that I respect what you do all day. That could sound like an accusation, even if I didn't mean it as one. And so I really stress to the married couples, the engaged couples, you've got to get to know each other so you know what these filters are. And so you know how to communicate what you actually want to communicate. I try to encourage couples to take responsibility for what the spouse is hearing. Mm-hmm not just responsibility for what they're saying. So those are a few of the things I stress. How about you? That's good. Yeah, I, um, I always make sure to talk about three big issues that I don't think a lot of engaged couples think are going to be an issue, but mm-hmm. I know it's going to be an yeah. issue. That, in-laws mm-hmm. is first, money, and sex. Mm-hmm. That's in addition to communication and all the things. Well, you have to be able to communicate about all three of those. That's a big problem. You do. Yeah. So what do you you tell them about in-laws? Well, we go through um, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and uh, talk about how, you know, Moses says, therefore man shall leave his father and mother Mm -hmm. and uh, cleave to his wife. And we talk about how this, this is now your number one priority in life, more than your in-laws and but we all, we also talk about just how we're shaped by our parents. Mm-hmm. How I tell them that you know the way that their parents treated one another is their default mode for what they think a, a normal marriage is, mm-hmm. and if they don't change those patterns, that default mode, that's probably going to be how they end up acting towards each other, replicating those behaviors. But the good thing is you have the Holy Spirit, and mm-hmm. you can you can change those patterns that are in your family and that you've seen your parents do. Yeah. 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 I see that a lot. You know, I think that's great. We I always try to bring up, you know, what is it you want to replicate? What is it you want to avoid? Mm-hmm. Also just talk about real practical things like where are you going to spend Christmas? Yeah. I mean, the number of couples who don't talk about where they're going to spend Christmas until the week before is astounding and it's terrible. And, you know, that's one of those conversations that's just going to hurt people's feelings. It is. And the sooner you have it, the better. You know, mom needs to know whether you're coming to Christmas this year or not. And um, and the sooner you have that, the easier it's going to be. It's very important to to team together with your spouse 
You don't say, well, you know, well, my wife doesn't want us to come this year. Never, ever say that. You know, but it's always we. We've decided that this is what we are going to do. And you want to communicate with people early enough that, that they can kind of get used to the idea and they know what's going to happen. That definitely happened to us early in our marriage. I won't say which of our mm. four in-laws so as not to embarrass my dad on national mm-hmm. radio. You would hate to do yes. that to him. Yes, no, but he just was assuming we were going to come for Christmas every year. Yes. Yeah. That's his favorite holiday and <laughs> just an assumption and we had to get kind of kind of bold with them and oh yeah. Dad, you can you can ask us, but we're going to do what's best for our family. That's yeah. Tough. It's very hard. I gosh, I did not have that conversation soon enough with my mom. And uh, and I'll say it's her because she doesn't listen to podcasts or even know what they are. And um, I, I mean, we've been married a long time, so long that my oldest son was eight years old before we ever spent Christmas in our own house. Wow. And he asked, he asked on the way out there, we had to, we had, by this point, we had four kids. We had so much stuff that this is how crazy it was getting. We were driving from Mississippi to Tennessee in two cars because we couldn't mm-hmm. fit everything in the cars so that we could open presents and bring them back to Mississippi. And it was just crazy. And finally, my son just said, when am I going to get to spend Christmas in my house? And I apologized to him and said, we're going to, you will next year, I promise. So it's... um, Parent issues are tough. It's harder than you think. It's hard to go from being a kid to Mm -hmm. being more of a peer. Mm -hmm. And you still have to honor your parents, but you no longer have to obey them. Mm -hmm. That's right. More sources of wisdom and friendship. And, and that's a tough transition. It is. What do you talk about with in regards to sex? How I talked a lot about how you got to talk about it like adults. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, this is an issue. It's an extremely important issue. It's an important issue to God. He created it. And he's proud of it. And he's thankful for it. And it's a big part of life and marriage. Um, most men would not get married if sex weren't part of the bargain. They just would never have done it. True. Um, I don't want to use stereotypes, but a lot of, I think a lot of wives tend to view uh, sex like dessert. It's, it's fun, but you don't want to do it every night. Probably wouldn't even be good for you to do it every night. And husbands view it more like eating. Uh, <laughs> the more, the more, the better. And so I, I just talk about communicating expectations. Talk about using it as a way to serve each other. Uh, and and if you're not having the frequency and the freedom that you you feel like that you want, so that you're satisfied, you've got to be able to talk about that with each other. Yeah. And of course, uh, today in, in in this day and time, a lot of people a will either come will come to their marriage with just ri- ridiculous expectations because of pornography or even just yeah. the stupid stuff they see on television about sex. Or they come to their marriage really hurt because they've been abused in one way or the other and tend to associate sex with something dirty. And those are huge topics that we're not going to get too deep into right now. But all that just to say that makes the conversation very difficult, much more difficult than it should be. Right. Yeah, and I find when I I get us into 1 Corinthians 7, Mm -hmm. and Paul really does the heavy lifting there. talking about how great sex is Mm -hmm. and how we should not deprive each other, how our bodies don't belong to each other. And I think that's, that's kind of news for a lot of Christians. Mm -hmm. They haven't really, they think 
that uh, the Bible's against sex or something yeah. like that. And I have to convince them, no, this is a great thing. And so yeah, that, that kind of crazy romantic notion that we should love each other despite sex or without it, that's just not in the Bible. No. But sex and, and marriage no. are completely joined together in the Bible. Yeah. Seems like Paul says, you get married, you should get it on early <laughs> and often. And then, uh, and I actually bring Rachel in for the, the last counseling session, and she goes off with the wife, and I get with the husband, and Good. talk about deeper stuff if they're willing to go there. Mm-hmm. So there's a question that everybody asks. Okay, what is it? Here it is. How do couples know? How do we know we're ready to get married? Well, yeah, you know that's a, that's a great question. Um, and my answer is going to be much less romantic than people want it to be, basically. But you answer that question the same way you answer all the big questions of life. You look at your opportunities, um, your desires, and your abilities, and you go with it. And, and there's no one person out there. I, I know that's going to make some people mad to hear that. There's no kind of one magical person that if you find them, you'll get married and happy, happy. And if you don't find them, you're going to be miserable. No matter who you marry, you're going to have times of great happiness and times of misery. And that's just growth together. And uh, being married is harder than most people give it credit for. It takes about 10 years to start thinking like a married couple. And most people are not patient enough with that. But I, I honestly, I think, you know, you want to be practical. You want to look at somebody and say, this is somebody that I want to be with for the rest of my life. Yeah. Not somebody I'm attracted to right now. Not somebody who just makes me laugh right now or whatever, though that's very important to me. It was very important to my wife. She says that's the best thing about my being married to me is I keep her laughing. But um, you want to find somebody that who's going the same direction in life you are who you enjoy being around, yeah. uh, somebody who pouts to get their way or is manipulative while they're dating, that's going to get only going to get worse. Find somebody that you enjoy being around, that you can talk to, and uh, and trust the Lord that if it's if it's His will for you to get married, then uh, you will. <laughs> yeah. And uh, if you're at a time and place where you can afford to be married and you are. Uh, old enough to be married and you want to marry this person, then you can trust that the Lord is in charge of those things and trust Him. Trust His goodness. Um, I never would encourage anybody to talk themselves into marrying somebody. Mm-hmm. If you don't want to, if, you, if you're having to talk yourself into a big decision in life, don't do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, and don't think that, don't, you know, everybody gets cold feet. You don't want to underplay it or overplay it. It's kind of like getting onto an airplane. Every time you step onto that airplane, you wonder, you know, is this safe? Yeah. And everybody goes to their uh, wedding day wondering if they made the right decision. And everybody will ask that, ask themselves that question for years afterwards. Yeah. But you have to trust the Lord's goodness and providence. Uh, I think most people, if they will be kind to each other and be willing to work together in their marriage, can have a great marriage. Um, I say most I don't, because I don't know. Yeah. I don't I just kind of get people in the house. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I don't know that there's a foolproof way to look ahead to whether mm-hmm. it's the right person. But I tell people there's one way to know that you did marry the right person. That is that you said I do. Yeah, yeah. Once so you're married, you're married. No second guessing. 
after you're married. Yeah, you said some really good things there. Just this idea that there's just one soulmate out mm-hmm. there. I just don't believe that. It's I, so harmful. I think it is harmful. And uh, it is more about finding someone yeah, that you get along with and that you see their character. And, and yeah, like you said, you, you can't go into marriage thinking, well, I've... I don't like how they were dating, but I can change them. Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a disaster. never going to happen. That's a disaster. You have to, you have to really enjoy them before the marriage, or you're not going to enjoy them after the marriage. Yeah, it's it's become a real cliche, but if you don't have a, a good, strong friendship, then you're probably not going to have a great marriage. Okay. You need to marry somebody that you're good friends with. This is going to be the person you move to be around, and uh, you're going to live with for the next sixty years. And it's a long time, and you just want someone who's, who's going to be a good friend and companion for you. Yeah, good. So what are your standards when a couple comes to you and asks you if you'll do their wedding? Do you, who will you marry? Who will you not marry? Well, I, I'm already married, so I won't marry anybody else. But uh, just kidding there. A little joke to give me by a little time. Um, you know, you want to only marry Christians, and and the. Uh, you want to marry people who are going the same direction. And so if you have one person for whom uh, Christ is the center of their life and one person uh, for whom his career is the center of his life, then you're going to be going into opposite directions. Or if you marry one person who wants to live for Jesus and one person who wants to live for their children or live for their parents or whatever, then you're going in opposite directions. And so I think it's, it is necessary that you both have uh, that same commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I only want to marry two people who are both uh, either either neither one of them are loving the Lord. I'll do that marriage, actually, uh, if you're neither one of them claiming to be Christians, or marry people who are of the same faith, ideally, and who want to be working together and moving towards that. So yeah, That's good. And you both need to be 18 or over and have your parents' blessing. If you don't, we can talk about it. Yeah. Good. What about you? You got any other kind of special ones? I mean, it's it's kind of an easy one when it comes to faith because, I mean, I can't marry uh, someone who is a Christian to a non-Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I could be disciplined by my church for doing that. So that's kind of an easy one. But, yeah, I think what you said about having having the main thing in your life be the same thing. Mm-hmm. If Jesus is not the center of your life for one person, he is for the other person, it's just it's gonna change every decision you make. Absolutely. And and there's a ton of decisions coming. Yeah. Where you move, where you live, how you spend your money, how you raise your children, what kind of school you're gonna put your children in, yeah. what job promotions you're gonna take, which ones you're gonna turn down. Uh, there's an infinite number of decisions coming. And if you don't agree about this the foundational issue then you will not degree, agree on those decisions. That's probably the only really explicit command about dating. Yeah, find marry someone in the Lord. That's all. You know, that's funny. We all <laughs> we put all these kind of things on you know questions of who we should date and how when we should get married. And all the Apostle Paul says is, if they're in the Lord, marry them. If you want to get married and you find somebody who's in the Lord, marry them. So yep. uh, that is pretty funny, actually. Well, that's all the questions I got. Well, good because that's about all the words I've got. Okay. <laughs> I hope this good. has been uh, I hope this has been helpful for those of you who have listened. Uh, if you have found it helpful, please take a second and uh, share this podcast on social media, Twitter or Facebook, or 
Uh, ideally, even go to iTunes and uh, write us a review. That would be wonderful. And if you happen to see Ricky this Saturday, wish him a happy birthday. Uh, my birthday's coming up. Yes. Yeah, we're not going to talk about that right now. All right, have a great day. <laughs> Thanks for listening.